everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We got a packed show for you tonight. My name is Tracy Siska. I'm executive director of the Chicago Justice Project and host of our Chicago Justice Show. You can find out more about our transparency and accountability work at chicagojustice.org. And you can access the report we just published yesterday morning by going to chicagojustice.org on the homepage. Big left side um, link. You'll have no problem getting it. It is a Basically, a history, sort of, of John Catanzaro's 23 years of misconduct with the Chicago Police Department. If you don't know who he is, he's also the Fraternal Order of Police president, the president of the largest police union in Chicago. And he's got a long history of misconduct and, um, and just an amazingly disgusting history of social media posts. So... The first segment, our main segment tonight, is an interview we I have that I canned earlier today with Lauren Cole, who is an intern with the Chicago Justice Project. She's the author of this report and our last report, which is on the Public Safety Committee. Both can be found on our website. Um, so we're going to talk about that. It'll be about the first half of the show. Um, it's really fascinating looking at the data and just this guy's history and how he's managed to stay on the police department. That's by itself enough to show you what is wrong with the police accountability system. Then after the break, we're going to talk about Superintendent Brown being under fire, CPD hiring bias. It's actually not in recruitment, which is to what the city and the mayor and the police department are saying. We can't recruit people of color. Well, it's not the fact that they can't recruit them. They can't keep them. They can't get them through the system. So they're actually employed by um, the Chicago Police Department. Then if we have time after that, we're going to talk about a piece by the BGA on carjacking and a piece from the Vera Institute in New York. Um, uh, it's an executive, it's an op-ed in the Hill by the executive director, Nick Turner, and it basically talks about Biden's, um, justice reform and how him relying on policing is a huge mistake. But for that though, this is our nation website. This is cjpnation.org. This is a, where our volunteers and Interns come together and do work on group uh, crowdsource research projects, social media activism, public policy advocacy, all of those things. This is where the research for our public safety committee report got done. This is where the work for this report, um, the research on Cotton Zara, that all, most of that got um, pre-canned, was done by members of our nation, volunteers and interns. You can find out more information at cjpnation.org, get involved. You can, we have a bunch of crowdsource research projects going on. We're gonna about to have some public policy advocacy, um, some fundraising too, if you're interested in doing that. Um, you can find out more information about the projects that are active and contact information for the group leads and contact information for Sydney, who runs our nation program. We have meetings uh, every other Wednesday night. We have one tonight, so if you're interested, pop it into the chat and I will, um, or just hit us up at info chicagojustice.org and I will get you that link tonight. It's at 7 p.m. Central. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let me do a little setup before we get into this video of this interview. John Catanzaro has been a police officer with the Chicago Police Department for 23 years. At this point right now, he is in the top 4% of officers employed by the Chicago Police Department with most complaints. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, most complaints. He is a total Trumper. 
He is um, probably why he got elected. He's good at just talk, speaking his mind, as he says, while he's got a grotesque mind. And you'll be looking at just a select few of those social media posts. But we're also going to be, in this interview, looking at his history. What did the, not only does he have 50 complaints, but how many are sustained? What did the police accountability system do? Where did it fail? They have tried to fire this guy twice in the same year in 2008. And both times the police board in their hearings and in their infinite wisdom gave him 20-day suspensions instead of terminating. Didn't find him innocent of things, just reduced the discipline. He could have been gone a long time ago. Now he is currently under suspension, I think, for like somewhere around 155 days, something like that number. And um, they are he's under suspension, and they are trying to fire him for a third time. We will see if that actually holds or not. Okay, so this is a conversation between Lauren, Cole, and I that we canned earlier today. If you have questions about it at any time during the show, pop them into the chat at any of the social media you're watching on us, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or Twitter. Just pop a comment or pop a question. I'll be happy to address it on the show. This runs around 30 minutes, so we will be back in, I think it runs around 24, 25 minutes. So I'll be back on the other side. Okay. We're going to start. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. So we are going to be talking with Lauren Cole. She's back again. Um, this time, the report is on John Catanzara, Catanzara from, uh, president of the Chicago Police Board, and he's been a Chicago police officer for 23 years. The title of our latest report is Catanzara, 23 Years of Misconduct Complaints and Social Media Controversies. Lauren, thanks so much for jumping back on with us. Thank you for having me. So for those who don't know Mr. Catanzara, he is a lightning rod for, um, he's great at levy, levy, leveling criticism at everyone and everything, but does not accept it about himself for sure. And he, um, for some reason, is also a lightning rod in getting complaints, um, both from um, you know residents of Chicago and um, fellow officers. Um, to startling amounts. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the method you used for this report before we get into any, any of the things you found in some of his social media posts? Sure. So Catanzara uh, has been in a, very, in a lot of very public controversies in his time, violating CPD protocol openly on his social media. So we wanted to document that as many times as we could. But what's gotten lost in a lot of uh, media coverage of just his social media is the huge amount of misconduct complaints that he has amassed in his 23 years of working as an officer for the CPD. So we used the Invisible Institute's uh, data set with records of misconduct complaints against CPD officers that goes back to, I think, the 1980s, the late 1980s, um, which is important because the city has fought to keep a lot of these records out of the public eye. So it's important that we can use them. Um, Anyway, we went through all of these misconduct complaints against Katanzara and uh, sorted them by what their recommended finding was supposed to be, if, if the decision was supposed to be um, sustained, not sustained, unfounded, exonerated, or, un, or, or unknown, because there was a blank in the data set, um, by either COPA or the Bureau of Internal Affairs. And then we also looked at um, what the final decision by the police board was to discipline, not to discipline, find it sustained, not sustained, et cetera. Okay. Can you give our audience, so there's basically four different official responses 
to when someone files a complaint. Um, and since somewhere in the mid 2000s, you have to file a complaint and then sign an affidavit. Um, but let's say all of that happens and there is an investigation. What are the four possible outcomes? So there is sustained, which means the allegation is supported by sufficient evidence to justify discipline, not sustained, which means there is insufficient evidence to either prove or disprove the allegation, um, unfounded, which means the allegation is completely false or not factual, uh, and exonerated, which means the incident occurred, but the actions of the accused were lawful and proper. And then we have a last category unknown because there was a lack of available information on the outcome because there was no affidavit or uh, COPA, BIA, or the police board have not yet made a decision because the complaint is recent. Right. And so let me just underscore one part of that. When people think when you go into a criminal trial and you go into a, right, you get a jury trial or whatever, and you're found not guilty, that isn't necessarily the same finding as innocent. It just means there wasn't, that prosecution did not reach its burden of proof requirements to, for the jury or the judge to find you guilty. Um, so those are two different things. This is also with this finding of not sustained. It's very similar as being a, a not guilty and rather than it's not equal as that, it does not mean you're innocent of the offense, right? Unfounded means you're completely innocent. Not sustained means they just didn't gather enough evidence to... Uh, meet their burden of proof, but they do think there is evidence to prove that it happened, right? That the allegation is somewhat reliable. So I don't want people to see when they see uh, through the data visualizations with the report, they see not sustained as being innocent. It really um, isn't that. So let's go on to how many complaints does Mr. Cotanzara have? How many were sustained? Who are these complaints from? Just give us a little bit of that, that history. Another limitation of the data set is that many citizens don't know that these processes <clears throat> to uh, file misconduct complaints exist. So it's possible that there are like more instances of misconduct that we just don't know about because there was never a uh, complaint filed. Um, but on to the numbers, we found 50 total complaints specifically directed at Catanzara over his 23 year career. Um, so far, which averages about two complaints per year. Uh, the most complaints he received in a single year is seven, and the least amount of complaints he has received in a year is zero, which only happened in six years in his 23-year span, uh, which is absolutely not acceptable for any officer and definitely not the head of the police union. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's amazing to me that he survived 50 complaints, 50 people, both internal to the department and external to the department, a mixture, filed complaints against someone and that person kept their job. That number is amazing. So do we have a breakdown? Do we know how many were internal versus like filed by fellow officers or supervisors versus external filed by citizens or residents of Chicago? We do not in this because um, with the data from the Invisible Institute, it looked like some were not, uh, didn't have enough documentation to verify who the complaint was filed by. So it was marked um, false for, or unknown for being filed by an officer. Um, but in many cases, those could have been filed by officers. Like his most common complaint against him is operational slash personal violations. And those are mostly internal. 
but some of those were marked in the data set as not filed by officers or couldn't be confirmed to be filed by officers. So we couldn't do that comparison. Although with more FOIA requests, we hope to get something out like that in the future. Yeah, we, 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 good point. We are filing more because most of the documents related to his misconduct cases um, were actually warehoused by the Office of Professional Standards. And when the Office of Professional Standards was changed and moved and created into a separate agency called the Independent Police Review Authority, IPRA, the acronym IPRA, did not take the Office of Professional Standards or records. Those stayed with the department. So you can't FOIA them through FOIAing what is now COPA, which took the place of IPRA. We're acronym heavy on this, this talk today. Uh, Citizen Office of Police Accountability at COPA doesn't have IPRAs. They have IPRAs records, but IPRA never got the OPS records. So we have to get those, unfortunately, from internal affairs. And it'll be somewhere um, long from now before those records get made public. I'm sure the police department's going to fight like crazy to keep those all secret. I have heard some stories that I cannot repeat because I cannot confirm them of um, Katanzara's history with some of his fellow officers, and it is not good. Okay, so um, we have a couple of visualizations on the website about, so how many of those 50 complaints were, were actually sustained against Mr. Katanzara? So 10 out of 50 were sustained, even though 12 were recommended by COPA or the um, or BIA to be sustained, which meant that the police board uh, decided to rule against what the re recommendation was um, in the final finding. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's important to understand, they tried to fire John Catanzara twice in the same year. In the year after he had his seven complaints, they tried to fire him twice in 2008. And in both instances, the police board reduced they didn't find him innocent. They were just reduced the discipline from termination to a 20 day suspension for each. Yeah, Which it's important to touch on that trend because it happened another time too. Of the 10 sustained complaints, he was only even disciplined for nine, which means that the police board found him guilty of one of these complaints and decided flat out not to discipline him. In addition to lowering the recommended uh, uh, terminations twice to just 20 day suspensions. It's really unbelievable. And you're saying to yourself, I'm not, I know for people watching this, like if you're, if you're for, if you're pro police accountability or you're pro, pro the police department, Katanzara's existence on the department undermines every claim you could possibly have that the system works. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Think about any job you have ever had, including the one you're currently in, and think about your likelihood of keeping it if 50 people filed complaints against you. And those complaints being a mixture from clients that you are serving to um, fellow coworkers and the, your bosses. Could you possibly keep that job? <laughs> I know I even worked for my brother-in-law one time and there's no way I would have survived in that business with 50 complaints. Um, I think once we got up into like the mid crooked numbers, six, seven, eight, I'd have probably been history. One other thing that I wanna touch on before we get into a social media history which is pretty grotesque. Um, and we're just gonna touch on it lightly because too many of them are too vulgar and ridiculous and horrific to read. But ladies and gentlemen, Katanzara is the worst or biggest hypocrite there is maybe in Chicago at the moment. 
he is in a job where he his job is to enforce rules and regulations. He is supposed to be oversight on the residents of Chicago and everyone who travels to or through Chicago for any reason, work, entertainment, whatever. He is an overseer to make sure you are following the laws, right? That the lawmakers write. That's his job. And in doing that, he racked up 50 complaints for misconduct from the people he serves and his supervisors, his coworkers and supervisors. He, and we'll get into some of the social media about his bosses and work, and work coworkers, he couldn't care less about his supervisors. He thinks they're all horrible. He thinks they're all useless. He thinks the rules are ridiculous and awful. Think about that great hypocrisy. He has spent over two decades holding people accountable to a set of rules. But he operates in a system like we all do at work that has certain rules. And he can't possibly um, show his disdain for those rules more in his behavior, right? Because he breaks the rules constantly and does not care about it and shows just utter disdain for all of his through all of his social media posts. And we're not gonna go over them. We've got them through the Invisible Institute. We've got, and using media outlets, Lauren put together a list of them that are, it's just um, mind-blowingly um, gross. There's really not a group of, um, there's not a minority group in the city or anywhere in America that Katanzar has not picked on or degraded or showed hatred for. Um, so without going, I'm not going to make you read them all. You can see them all on our website. I'm even kind of, I want people to be able to see them and know the real truth, but I'm also kind of disgusted with having to publish them. Did you find any of these particularly, especially the ones about his bosses or his coworkers particularly, um, did, did one particularly stand out among all the disgustingness? Oh, well, I mean, there are plenty of uh, more tame posts in his uh collection um content wise that are still just very obviously breaking rules of how the cpd is supposed to function right their code of conduct he's made political statements in uniform he's called cpd officers and his superiors spineless and sad um he's made many racist xenophobic sexist transphobic you name it otherwise offensive statements on here uh he even in response to um, his current investigation, he said that in so many words, even if I'm fired, I'm going to try to hold on to this job, which is constitutionally questionable when it comes to the FOP. So there's just very little regard for um, the rules and the structures in place that he is in charge of. So we're going to be, when the video plays for this, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing right now, we're going to, I'm going to show some of them, um, the, the milder ones, but it's, it's true. You'll, to give you um, a little insight, Katanzara has a worldview such as it is, and everyone and anyone that disagrees, and no matter what rules or laws there are that disagree with him, that he is supposed to follow he will not follow any of them. Whether it's sexual assault victims or victims of violence or um, Black Lives Matter or people of the Muslim faith. Um, uh, if you're a woman, <laughs> he seems to have a particular, um, would you agree that he seems to have a particular um, 
habit of posting really misogynistic posts. I completely agree with that. If there's a pattern here, it's misogyny and it's also being very into policing particular neighborhoods and defending uh, those police tactics. Yes. It's interesting to me that if you follow his logic about they're the, they're the only thing, the police are the only thing standing between anarchy and the city, one could argue then if you just look at policing without looking at any of the science about what actually stops and prevents violence and crime from happening, well, New York went from 2,000 murders to 400. Chicago went from 900 at best 450 or 425 one year. So that means New York is, since it went down 75% or almost 80% reduction in homicides, that New York police are better than Chicago, right? If, if there's no other factors and it's only due to policing. I've always wondered, like I always wanted to ask these people, him being one, him a representative of the very pro-policing, let us do whatever we deem necessary to take the streets back why we shouldn't just fire all the Chicago police officers and hire the New York ones, right? Because if they got an 80% drop in homicides and Chicago got like close to what, 55, 60%, 80% is better than 60%. We should bring in New York's cops. Um, yeah, from Chelsea Clinton. Um, God, I, there's, I'm not even going to read them. I'm just going to leave them. What was the... Being not so knee deep in all the criminal justice issues every day, like I am here and we are at CJP, what did you find the most um, surprising and then the most disturbing from having to dive into the Cotton Zara 23 year history of uh, complaints and everything he's done? I think I'm sort of desensitized to this stuff at this point after having so many Trump tweets for four years um, <laughs> that this is sort of what I expect from people who hold any sort of position of authority in the U.S. now, uh, which is to the right, which is quite sad to say. Um, but if anything, he really defends a lot of, like, if he does something bad and he violates rules and he says something horrible about his superior in a public place um, online or something like that, uh, and then receives criticism for it or receives discipline for it. He just digs his heels in and says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and he'll post about that as well. So obviously he's not learning from any of his mistakes. He is just making more. He's just piling on the list. Um, so yeah, that is obviously very disturbing for someone who's the basically the head of a police department, the head of a police union. Yeah, I think, well, I think there's two things that stand out to me besides the misogyny. Um, and it's just, I, well, I would say there's two real things. The misogyny is one of them. And the other is just, I kind of think self-defeating. Why? Because like, one of the complaints, ladies and gentlemen, that I think he's on more or less trial in front of the Chicago Police Board for now, they're seeking his termination again. Um, one of those, I think, is stemming from him complaining about a march on the Dan Ryan Expressway that was basically sanctioned by Rahm Emanuel. And basically, Rahm Emanuel, through Father Flager, was told, hey, we're going to, we want a big march. 
we want a substantive march. We want to make a statement, but we're willing to work with the city when this happens, when and where this will occur. So it was decided that they were going to do it on the Dan Ryan Expressway, but the organizers had decided to do it on a Saturday. And they decided to give the city notice. And I think they only went one or two exits down. So it was a very short term thing. Kanzara went ballistic with it. And he filed, I think at some point, filed the police report against his the superintendent, Eddie Johnson, right? And then that got deleted and there's a whole uh, saga with it. It will come out in the hearing. We're gonna be coasting um, transcripts to his hearings. Hmm, maybe that's a research project, people reading the transcripts to his hearings and trying to find out why he was found not guilty the last times. Um, but it just seems really self-defeating. Like, I don't know what he was hoping to do there other than to vent his anger at them, at the city allowing protesters on the Dan Ryan. For yeah, and this was also an event that was greenlit by the, at the time, um, director of Illinois State Police, Leo Schmitz. And he just went for him very hard in his social media posts and his Facebook posts. And um, also for Eddie Johnson, multiple times. Yeah, Leo Schmitz, you probably don't know this, but Leo Schmitz was a former CPD officer and uh, commander. So they either had a run-in or he just doesn't like anyone in any sign of leadership. And he seems to strike out. I mean, this is not a person that likes having people disagree with him. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so I, ladies and gentlemen, please go read it. Um, Lauren did an amazing job writing it. You can go look at the social media posts for yourself or spin by them, which I often do because I can't take reading them um, over and over again. I feel bad for Lauren having to dive into the Cotton Zara era here. We are going to be filing new FOIAs for his records with um, internal affairs. And uh, I think I'm going to go dig up the police board transcripts. I think that would make an interesting piece to look at how he got off in those cases and whether or not that was right. Um, and he's on trial um, now fighting for his job. And as Lauren mentioned, he says in, in his social media post that he can stay in power at the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. And it seems to be somewhat dubious a little bit because as far as I know from sources, I haven't read them, the bylaws and everything, you have to be a sworn officer to be um, the president. I'm not sure if that's true. I mean, it turns out you don't need to be a member of the House of Representatives in the United States of America to actually be the Speaker of the House. They can nominate any human being they want which is why there's a movement pushing for Trump to be the speaker. Um, so um, who knows what is true there. Um, Kanzara definitely is the person who, if he got fired and could keep the union position job, he would keep it. He is not going away quietly. All right, Lauren, thank you so much. I really appreciate you jumping on with us. Real quick on yep. that note about him trying to hold on to power, he posted himself a screenshot of the uh, requirements for nomination for the role of um, president of the police board. And it says you have to be oh, in continuous- President of the FOP. Sorry, FOP. Yeah, not police board. Um, he posted a screenshot for the nomination and qualifications for officers who are nominated to be the head of the FOP. And it said you have to be in continuous good standing for two years as an active member um, in the CPD which, you know, if you've been suspended for a little over half a year under investigation, it's questionable 
about whether that would allow you to qualify for a nomination um, or meet membership requirements for being in the FOP anyway. But that is not something I'm an expert on and is a battle I'm sure will play out in the coming weeks. Right, and it'll be interesting. It only is gonna be a battle if someone from the FOP protests his position, right? But it would mean, at least in the general reading I am, having right now through you, because you just read it, <laughs> is that he wouldn't be able to be nominated for re-election in a couple of years, because by that time, he would not be in good standing for two years prior to that. Um, so that may be a way to get rid of John Catanzara. Okay. Thanks again, Lauren. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay. We are back. Um, an amazing, amazing, amazing reality that we're living in that someone with 50 complaints like this can keep his job in a position of trust and massive authority. So we're going to go to a question from Shlan, um, coming through Facebook and I'm going to read it to you. Thank you both for your episode. Just a question. If someone like Cotton Zara can remain in his position to despite all these complaints and this problematic social media presence and who knows how many others like him are out there in the department. I'm curious to hear of either of your thoughts on whether or not you feel there's any hope for the future of the CPD in regards to really living up to their duty, protect and serve. Wow. That was an easy question. No, um, that was a tough one. I, I think it's complicated. I think the reality is, is, Cotton Zara's existence shows you how broken the police accountability system is. And that hurts me, right? I helped write the police board reform that passed in 11 under ROM. I helped with creation of COPA that got rid of the Independent Police Review Authority and setting up the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's office. That was totally my idea. I think the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's office is living up to its billing. But that's really the only thing in the police accountability system that's working. So I think Katanzara's existence shows you how broken that system is. Him winning the election to be the union president is not an accident. He was an outspoken Trumper, as you can tell from the, the few of, the, uh, of his posts that we showed during the video and all of Lauren's great insight and um, hard work on her report shows. He's a hardcore Trumper. He got elected by an element within the CPD that is, is our Trumpers. There's no better way to put it. They don't care about facts. They don't care about anything other than reinforcing their narrow, narrow worldview. And they like people speaking out. They like people like Cotton Zara, the hypocrite that he is you know, giving the finger to authority, even though they're the authority to us, right? But he, they like that. And uh, you go to our, go to the report and you will see the mis hate-filled, misogynistic, especially against women, but blacks, Muslims, name it. He hits them all, Latin-speaking people. He hits them all, man. He hits, he hits as many as he possibly can as far as groups that he wants to criticize so that element's existence is really, really, really problematic. And because they're such Trumpers, there's no reasoning with them. They're convinced of their outright authority. 
their outright intelligence and knowledge base, and they don't like to be challenged on anything. So the fact that there was a big enough segment for him to win, like there was a big enough segment in this country for Trump to win, doesn't give me a lot of hope. Now, one good thing that 2020 brought to us is if there's been a fair amount um, of retirement. So maybe if we train them better at the beginning, they don't become like the old guard is. Two other things, Hillary Woods, thanks for all your hard work. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, keep tuning in. Keep giving us comments and questions. That's what you can do to help us. Or go to CJP Nation and become involved. Um, Nimesh, if I'm pronouncing that right, post all of Mr. Cotton Zero's social media posts. I don't really want to echo them on the show. If you go to our chicagojustice.org, on the left big half of the home screen on the left side is the link. Just click any of it, the picture you'll see of him, and you can get all the social media posts that we've got. One thing that we didn't cover that I should have covered in an interview with Lauren, and I apologize, is that I want to let you know, and we did this in the Instagram Live, but I didn't do it in the interview earlier today, so I apologize. Mr. Katanzara is on Twitter, as you see with those some of those posts. Mr. Katanzara is, according to Twitter, been a member since 2011. His earliest retrievable tweet is from 2014. So it's either Mr. Katanzara did not tweet for two or three years, or his account has been scrubbed. Who wants to bet it's been scrubbed? I certainly believe the odds are that he scrubbed his account. Could you imagine what an unrestrained John Cotanzaro would say? Look at some of the posts. You can imagine what's out there if he took the time to sit there and delete them all. What is actually would have been out there on those posts. Um, so, um, yeah, Sean, I, I really, I'm, you know, it's kind of like, is there hope for the country? It's kind of the same thing. Well, Trump lost, so maybe a little glimmer, but he's still sticking around. So Trump, Trumpism hasn't been defeated. He's still around. He's still the nomination for 2024, the leader. So don't know. What will, I believe Katanzara is going to be fired by the police board. In this case, I bet, I, I'm almost certain they will fire him. For nothing else, unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends on your view. If nothing else, they're going to fire him because they don't want to put up with the backlash of keeping him on again. So he's going to go. That would be my bet. Then it's going to be interesting to see the turmoil inside if there is any about whether he keeps the presidency. And like I said with Lauren, I don't think after that, uh, when it comes up for a new term, I don't think he'll be able to apply again. Now, these hearings sometimes take weeks, sometimes take months, sometimes take a couple years. So maybe he drags it out to the beginning of his second term. Who knows? We can only hope for the best, and the best would be parting with John Cotanzaro. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick one-minute break, and that time, during that time, you're going to get information about our nation program. Once, once again, CJP not, cjpnation.org to get information about our crowdsourced research projects and the advocacy that's going on. If you want to get involved. Go to info at Chicago Justice. I mean, hit us up at info at chicagojustice.org. We have a meeting tonight, 7 Central. If you drop us an email, I will send you the link and you can come participate. All right, I'll see you in one minute. Join a group of engaged, 
and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Second segment tonight. This is an article about Superintendent Brown being under fire from CBS2 News. There wasn't a video story. Uh, All I could get was the written piece. Here is the title for our podcast listeners. Hailed as national leader five years ago after deadly ambush on Dallas cops, David Brown now under fire for handling of Chicago crime as city's top cop. He is extremely under fire and he deserves to be and he's going to continue to be under fire. Now, there is, first of all, There's always a danger in picking someone who's famous over a single incident. For those who don't know, um, I'll get into the quotes of the article about why. Um, For many police chiefs, there is this propaganda about what they do, what they say they're doing, and what the numbers and data actually show is going on. They often are in massive, massive conflict. This is why the Chicago Justice Project exists, to break that conflict. So let's go into the article and take some uh, quotes and talk about it. Five years ago this week, when he was still the police chief in Dallas, David Brown was thrust into the national spotlight when a sniper killed five police officers in an ambush. There was some police accountability march, anti-police brutality march in Dallas, a sniper started, I think, shooting both citizens and or just, you know, people marching, um, non-cops and police officers and killed five. Right. My so I'm not going to talk about that incident so much, it's, it, except for the fact that. You got a question when a single incident puts a police leader like this in the national spotlight. What's behind it? Why was he never in the spotlight before? Right. Now, what was he, what did he get, what did he do to get in the spotlight? So, they got this sniper cornered down a hallway. There's no escape for him. They try to send officers down, and during that time, he shoots them. And actually, one of the officers he murdered is during that attempt to go down the hallway or corridor and get him. So, Brown made a decision that to put a, they have a drug, drug sniffing, drug bomb, dog, uh, drug robot, some kind of robot thing that goes and handles bombs. So they put, instead of, uh, I guess it's supposed to help them uh, get rid of bombs, defuse them. This time the police flipped it under Brown's authority and put a bomb on the robot and wheeled the robot, pushed, you know, remotely down the hallway and blew up the suspect and killed him. And there were all um, there are all kinds of people from both sides saying what should have happened, what they should have done. But this is what put Brown in the limelight. Okay, but 
challenging decision. You got to make you got to make the tough calls. I'm, I, I don't really feel too bad about that. I don't want a police officer being judge, jury and executioner, but I don't I guess they were supposed to wait a couple of days for him to starve out. I don't I don't know. I, I could go either way on that, I guess. But um, but that's what put him into the spotlight. Why wasn't he in the spotlight for what he did before that? And the question is, is there anything behind what he did before that to like make him worthy? I don't think his other accomplishments really stand up to scrutiny. Here are a couple more quotes from the article. We're asking cops to do too much in this country, said Brown. Every societal failure would put it on the cops to solve. He listed mental health, drug addiction, loose dogs, family schools as problems the public expects cops to solve. Wow. Hey, man. You're in it. We're in it. We're, we're together. We need to take calls for service away from the police. Let's get 30, 40, 50, 80% of the calls that come to 911. Let's get them off the cops' plate. Let's defund you guys. Take some money out of you and build up resources, build up alternative responses, crisis response things to handle drug addiction and mental health. I'm where with you. What he, where, where the thing happens is he doesn't want any of their authority to go. He wants them to still respond to everything. That's a BS statement from a propagandist. That's just propaganda. That's feeding chum to the, you know, the media there. Oh, it, 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 give us mental health, drug addiction, give us all these things. He's right, except he doesn't want to change anything fundamentally that would stop the police from having to show up with those things. Then what good is that statement if he's not ready to take the next step? If it's only a talking point, then it's propaganda. If it's going to lead to action, fine. He's done nothing. Zero, ladies and gentlemen, zero in Chicago on this to make that change. In fact, all he's asked is for more cops. Back to the article. At that time, Brown's appointment was highly praised. Due to his efforts to improve relations between police and minority residents while in Dallas, he was also lauded for emphasizing de-escalation tactics, increasing use of police body cameras and dashboard cameras, focusing on community policing initiatives, increasing diversity in the ranks, and publishing never-before-released data on police use of force. Dallas does not publish a whole lot of data, so that is crap -o -lot. Let's just get that out of the way. Body cameras? Okay, but they're, they're spreading all over the country. That doesn't seem awesome. De-escalation tactics? Maybe, but I haven't seen anything in him in Chicago that says he's a world-renowned de-escalationer. I don't see any of that. He is community policing, but guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Community policing, for the most part, is BS of the strongest, strongest possible version. There was a horrible criminology, or at least I shouldn't say it's horrible criminologist. Horrible, he wrote a horrible book on police culture. John Crank, I think his name was. He used to be at Florida A&T University. I don't know if he's still there, so he might still be there, but it was years ago on my master's degree. And he said one interesting line in his book that I found really, really meaningful was about community policing. He said community policing is just the police getting a warrant from the community what they were going to do anyways. That's right. And he's that's 100% right. Community policing really doesn't fundamentally change the dynamics such as it's practiced in the United States, especially in Chicago. It doesn't really fundamentally change what happens in those communities. 
it makes people feel like things are changing, but it isn't really. I don't know of any research that says, hey, you know what? Cops are less brutal. There's less brutality. There's less shootings. There's less lawsuits against the cops when there's some kind of community policing plan in place. The community policing team he's got out now, he's got this 300-man unit. They got in all kinds of trouble. Bad warrant searches. They had guys with that are about to be fired on there, brutal guys on the team. So I just don't think all of that stuff about him is built up, is, is really supported by the facts in Dallas. I mean, if you read that, he sounds awesome. I don't think the media did a big enough digging to know if any of that stuff is actually supported. They read some headlines in Dallas and just went with it. They read his book and they went with it. Listen, pointing his fingers, as we have known now, and he's continuing to point fingers at the courts. We went over it the last couple shows. That's his jam, ladies and gentlemen. That is what he does. Manipulating crime stats, that's also his jam. He did it in Dallas big time. We got a report coming out on this man in about four weeks. We're going to show you what the real brown is like that you did not get from the Chicago media, didn't get from the city council in his, in his um, confirmation hearing. Pointing fingers, his jam. Manipulating crime stats, manipulating the media, that's his jam also. Nothing he's doing in Chicago should be a surprise to anyone that did research on what he did in Dallas in his tenure. The problem is, for the most part, the media didn't do it. Patrick Smith at BEZ did a little bit of it. The rest of the people totally whiffed. And we got a report coming out in four weeks, maybe two pieces, maybe two um, two pieces to that research. But um, I'm not sure if it's been all in one or we're going to split it up into a couple different pieces. But we're going to look at the Chicago media coverage of Brown, too, during during before and during his confirmation and after. Bad, 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 bad. They just totally missed the boat. Okay, uh, we're going to go on to our third and probably final segment for this evening. Chicago and so it's a sometimes article Chicago Inspector General questions bias in police hiring. 37% of applicants are black, 18% are hired. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. So all first of all, this should not have had to be broken by the Inspector General. Why was the media not on this number? For years and years and years, the Chicago Police Department and the mayor's offices, the various mayor's office, Daly, Rahm, and now Lightfoot, have been saying, we can't recruit, it's recruit, we can't recruit, we can't recruit, can't recruit. No, ladies and gentlemen, this report proves that all to be an absolute lie. They were all lies. If 37% of the applicants are black, that's not counting Latino and Asian stuff. That's good. They're able to recruit. They're able to get in the door. The problem is one out of every two they get in the door washes out during the process. This Inspector General's report flips the script on this idea that we just can't recruit blacks into the Chicago Police Department. We can't get them to apply. No, you can. You just can't get them through. And, all right, well, I'll save that comment for later. Let's get a little bit into this article. 
It is disproportionately high attrition for black candidates throughout the hiring process, not a lack of applicants that is most responsible for low number of black police officers ultimately hired. Not recruitment, ladies and gentlemen, it's retainment. Now, when you flip the script like that and get it away from recruitment and get it towards retainment, that means it completely falls on the Chicago Police Department and the city of Chicago for responsibility about why they have such few black officers. It's a systematic, it's a system problem. It is not a problem of, oh, the, the black people, they just don't want to apply. They just don't like policing. You know, all this defund the police and all this other stuff. It's all of that. They just don't want to apply. That's not it. That is, a, we've been fed a bunch of lies. This should have been uncovered. Honestly, CJP should have broke this. That's our fault. But reality is, the newspapers, the Tribune and Sun-Times crime reporters, Frank Maine, David Heinzman, where the hell have you been? The Inspector General, this thing was sitting out there like a plum waiting for you to take it. Could have just picked it off the bottom branch. This ain't super sophisticated research, guys. This, you should have done this. So, did the CPD know this? Did the mayor's offices? When did they know this? Or are they just not looking? They have no idea. Because when they're telling us we just can't recruit, they're lying. That was a lie. They're getting them in the door. They can't get them through the training. They can't get them through qualifying. They're saying they're not coming to the door, not sending any applications. That was a lie. Did Lightfoot say it? Did Brown say it? Did Eddie Johnson say it? Did McCarthy say it? Did we say it? Line them up. Go get them. Put them on the front page for lying. Go get their quotes out of Lexus. You have them probably real easy. Go get them. Go talk to them. Line them up. Put them on the front page for lying. How much BS can we be fed and you take it? Stop taking the bullshit. They've been lying for years. Back to the article. The inspector general examined the results of former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's 2016 through 2018 police hiring surge and found that black candidates represented 37% of the applicants, but only 18% of those invited into the police academy. Hello? They looked at a few years. Why don't you go look for a couple decades? Guys, go do your jobs. I continue. In response to the Inspector General's findings, police officials said, now get this, hold on to your seat. Wait till they, what these guys say. Police officials said they've changed policies to allow applicants to retake the fitness test if they fail it. City officials said that they intend to ask all of them to help identify prospective applicants in their wards for the police department. Wait a minute, we're going back to it being an applicant problem. You have the applicants. The screening process is disproportionately screening out one out of every two people of color. That's not a people of color problem. It's a system problem. It's a system problem. But you're incapable, incapable of looking internally and seeing what you're doing wrong. Your response to the inspector general was, well, we're going to let people take the, the fitness test again if they fail it. Oh, okay, well, is that what they're all failing out of? 
Is it the fitness test they're failing at? Okay, then the other question would be, what, why did you change the fitness test? Is, you did data, is that where all, is that where half, you know, one out of every two black candidates is failing out? And if you knew that and you made the change, then why did you tell us it was an application problem, applicant problem, and not a system problem? You have enough people of color, you have enough blacks applying, almost 40% of your applicants are black. You just bring in less than 20% of them, less than half. That's a you problem. That's a police department problem. But they're still, even after these results, incapable of looking. And, and their answer was, let's go to some of the most corrupt and useless and lazy people in the city, the aldermen, and let's ask them to send in some candidates. Because God knows they have high integrity. I mean, there's only two under federal investigation, soon to be federal prisoners. Oh, I'm sorry. Three. Ed Burke, Patrick Daly Thompson, and... The woman who I can never remember her name. I want to call her Penny Pritzker, but it's wrong. It will come to me. But there, she just pled not guilty last week. There are three under aldermen under current federal indictment. They're not under investigation. They're under indictment. Eddie's going away for sure. Patrick Daly Thomas is going away. Not so much about the third one, but I think the third one's going away too. They can all share a group cell. They should just have a cell for... Chicago politicians, like a group room, put them all in. The, their punishment for being corrupt should have to be spending the next five or 10 or 20 years together in the cell. That would um, that would be pretty funny. You, the feds could make a lot of money to fund all their projects. Just put a camera on there. The money they'd make off Chicago people watching that reality show, priceless. Okay, um, once again, this is a systems problem. And when you get that crappy Tribune editorial that we talked about la on Monday on last show, where they said everything, we just need to, you know, just nicely and uh, compassionately nudge the parents to put in more discipline. Because, you know, black parents, very, very undisciplined, horrific people. And we don't want to come down on them too much. We want to compassionately nudge them to do the right thing and install discipline into their children. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I will see you Friday at 5.30 p.m. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm probably on Friday going to place. We did an Instagram Live, Lauren and I, yesterday on our Instagram at Chicago Justice Project. Follow us there, please. Um, but we did an Instagram Live, and whenever we release these reports or do these live videos and stuff, it seems like only, um, only people who hate or don't understand reality are the ones who reach out and I've got a voicemail. I'm going to, I think we're going to play it on Friday so you can get an idea. Um, just like what we have to put up with on the other run when we do anything public. Okay. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen. I really appreciate it. And we will see you Friday at five 30.